and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a weekly podcast bringing readers and writers of Australian fiction together. I'm Claudine Tinellis. As an avid reader and passionate advocate for Australian fiction, I make it my mission to spotlight local talent. So if you're looking for your next read or simply want to learn more about the Australian literary scene, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and relax. This morning, listeners, I'm chatting to novelist Ali Lowe about her debut novel, The Trivia Night, published by Hodder and Stoughton. Ali is a Sydney-based author who works as a journalist. Before moving to Australia 14 years ago, Ali worked in London where she worked as a features editor for OK Magazine and once, famously, stalked celebrities in Elton John's garden. I had the very great pleasure of meeting Ali at a book launch back in December of 2020 and was delighted to learn about her then upcoming book. Now the book is out in the world and it's a page-turning, rip-snorting read that will have you gasping with possible shock, intrigue and downright unput-down ability. It's a novel about four couples, one reckless night and the aftermath that threatens to rip their seemingly perfect lives apart. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Ali to the podcast today. Hi, Ali. Hello. It's lovely to be here. Oh, I'm so, so happy to have you. Well, I wanted to say congratulations. I absolutely love this book, if you didn't already discern that from my introduction. Uh, <laughs> I raced through it, desperate to know how it all worked out in the end. So tell me about this novel, Ali. What's it all about and what was your inspiration for it? Okay, so the Trivia Night is about a group of parents at a school trivia night, obviously, um, a fundraiser, which obviously is kind of integral to Aussie life. It's a rite of passage for primary school parents over here. Um, And these parents, each couple has sort of, you know, things going on within their lives and marriages. They make the reckless decision to partner swap for one night only. And the book kind of explores the um, ramifications in terms of relationships and marriages and the clue is that it turns fatal somewhere along the lines as you know Claudine (laughs) I do indeed my goodness okay so I mean I know that you've probably been asked this question a million times but like was there a school trivia night function that you attended you know where you just sat back and said to yourself hmm I wonder if (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were gonna ask me (laughs) Um, no 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 I, I like to say at this juncture that it's purely fiction not based on me at all although I have been to lots of trivia nights and um and they do I I I think they're a chance for parents to let their hair down a bit and quite a lot of them are in fancy dress so people get dressed up and they pretend they're someone else and they all do get a little bit wild but no the idea um well the idea obviously that was set at a trivia night was from my own trivia nights but the idea about including swinging was um originated from a conversation I had with a girlfriend who uh, said that there were a a couple at her primary school or a group of people at her children's primary school who indulged in the old partner swapping or that was you know so rumor had it and I was um, quite fascinated with this my jaw kind of hit the ground and I just thought gosh that is the most incredible premise for a book because it's just open to so much possibility if something like that happens and it's not meant to, it's not planned, then, you know, there's so much possibility, so much scope for intrigue. You know, what if someone fell in love? What if someone became obsessed? What if someone 
got pregnant, you know, all these kind of things were kind of bubbling around in my mind. And I was about to embark on the Faber writing a novel course uh, two weeks later. And, um, and that was the idea I took in with me, having had no idea <laughs> what I was going to write about. Um, and suddenly this was all over my head and I couldn't stop thinking about the potential for scandal, basically. Now, I want to talk about the Faber Academy a little bit later, but I, I wanted to say that I thought this book definitely had a Leanne Moriarty-like feel. And But what I think also sets this book apart was the way this one night and the couple's actions on this occasion simply highlighted what was going wrong in their lives, um, as you you know alluded to a little bit earlier. It all seemed like a bit of harmless fun until there was the potential for someone to be hurt. So, and you've kind of already touched on it, but was it something you consciously wanted to explore? Um, well, I wanted them all to have their reasons for going to trivia night and behaving like this. I didn't want it to just be a bunch of parents go to trivia night, get drunk and do something that's going mm. to shatter their lives. I wanted mm. there to be a reason why, because, you know, I would go to trivia night and, and not do that myself. So, you know, you kind of have to wonder what is going on in these, these, I would say women's heads, but it's all of them, all of these people's yeah. heads, these, these couples to, to make them want to behave like that and in the case of Zoe we learn it's because she's trying for a baby it's not happening she's angry with her husband there's a lot of resentment building um with Alice you know Alice is very straight laced and you know basically for her it's a chance to to explore herself and let her hair down um, there's issues within her marriage which you find out as you read the book and for Amanda it's very deep rooted that the issues that she has which again at the start of the book seem you know, almost quite frivolous and fun. And then as you get to the, you know, the middle section and the final section, you realise why Amanda has behaved like that because her marriage is seeming, you know, seems to be quite perfect. And they're very happily married couple, very deeply in love. So why would she do this? But you realise her reasons as the book progresses. Now, I won't give them away, but um, I wanted there to be these sort of serious reasons why they would be so reckless basically. I'm sure this is also another question that you get asked a lot and I don't want to be indelicate about it but um, uh, what research did you have to do to bring <laughs> <laughs> the experiences of these couples onto the page? Uh, well I have been um, asked this um, and, um, and and what I what I've said is um, that well the truth that I didn't actually I didn't go to any clubs or anything like that I didn't you know sit and have coffee with someone who I knew to be um, in the swinging community or anything like that I did a lot of googling <laughs> I, did, I got a lot of my information about what swingers do from my sister's laptop in Hertfordshire in the UK when I went back to stay with her in, um, in June 2019 so she was mortified that to find that um, her search history included things like what do swingers take to parties and what are the rules of swinging and can you do this if you're a swinger and you know it got quite grubby really <laughs> so, on the search history so um so she was like why did you do that on my computer but yeah that was pretty much the research I did for that at the end towards the end of the novel something happens that I needed uh, help from a detective with so I spoke to a really amazing um, detective within the Northern Beaches um, command who who gave me lots of advice on how to treat crime scenes and um, and things like that and she was amazing so that was my main research from an expert but yes the swinging was largely imaginative and from what I gleaned from sites online sites indeed now I saw a recent Instagram post of yours where I think it might have been a, a few of your friends got together and bought you a silver key bowl or something like that something like that so tell me about that why is this significant in the context of 
swinging communities? Oh my goodness. Well, I have a very close um, group of friends within the school community. My, I've got two, I've got three children, but two of them are at primary school um, in year four and year five. So we've got, you know, a very close group of friends within the school community. And obviously, inevitably, when the book started, there started to be a bit of buzz about the book, they were all hideously embarrassing. Oh my gosh, why have you put us in this situation? Everyone's going to think we're swingers because we're such good mates and we go camping together and we do this together. And, you know, we're always going for dinners and stuff and we're, you know, we're good mates. So they were just all quite embarrassed. And I actually had to put a disclaimer at the back of the book saying, I'm so sorry, you're going to have to accept the fact that everyone within our community probably thinks you're swingers now. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's my pleasure kind of thing. So it's become a bit of a joke. And, um, and so I had a little impromptu celebration with friends on Saturday night and um and three of the girls clubbed together for a beautiful um salad bowl silver salad bowl and um I opened it up and I thought oh this is so lovely and then um they were saying go on Ali turn it over turn it over and when I turned it over it had engraved on the back keys in <laughs> as, in, as in keys in the bowl um so I just roared with laughter it's still making me laugh now but um yes it's probably not doing much to kind of um <laughs> negate the uh, any rumors that might be flying within my community to clue listeners in on the significance of the key bowl why did your friends put that on, on oh, the other side of the bowl oh, because obviously the book's all about parents who swing and um, there's that old kind of adage that you know if, if you're going to a swinging party you take your car keys and you pop them in a bowl in the middle of the table to show that you're keen so uh so that was just a bit of a wind up on my behalf <laughs> but I've got a good sense of humor I think or I like to think I have so um so yeah I did roar with laughter and it's brilliant I just love it so the book is set in a fictional seaside Sydney suburb um one populated by obvious wealth if the car's rolling to a stop in the school drop-off zone or anything to go by so I wanted to ask you Ali why there why this affluent suburb I think I wanted to make the stakes higher maybe maybe um you know maybe in this affluent suburb maybe some of the people were you know very kind of extreme personalities I don't know I just love the idea of you know even this beautiful affluent community aren't protected from what happens in every single you know in every single school or this kind of you know people pitted against one another and you know things going wrong and I just liked the idea of it being slightly sort of desperate housewivesy everything's so perfect and everything's so wealthy on the surface but underneath you know things going wrong like they do everywhere. I guess like I don't know when I was reading it and perhaps this is a bit of a long bow to draw but do you think that the wealth uh, feeds into the couple's receptiveness to the idea of swinging the wealthy perhaps have more time to reflect on their innate happiness? I don't know. It's just something that occurred to me. Maybe because, uh, you know, one of the two of the women were working, but they did have a lot of time on their hands. And, you know, maybe they were kind of in some respects bored because they have everything they want and maybe they want to spice life up with it. I mean, really, maybe there is partly that may be part of it, but mostly it was the, the problems that each of these women had deep within themselves. That was it. And, and I suppose wealth doesn't really have an awful lot to do with that and you know whether you're bored or not you still have these problems and whether you're wealthy or not you still have these problems so I guess that was the crux of it. Yeah absolutely you've done a fabulous job in capturing the diversity of personalities that populate school communities and the innate competitiveness amongst parents is that something you particularly wanted to explore and why? I just think the women in the book were quite sort of extreme versions of people that you might see at the school gate. And everything in the trivia night, I guess, was quite extreme. You know, we probably walked down the road and you wouldn't find all these extreme characters in your regular um 
you know, school. And then certainly there, there aren't sort of these extreme characters in my school community and everyone's lovely. And, you know, I haven't experienced all this, you know, women pitted against women thing, which, you know, I'd like to point out as the book goes on, you realize actually these women come together. So it's not a book about women being pitted against each other. It's actually a book about women supporting each other. And that becomes clear at the end. But, um, but I do think that um, what I was doing was taking these small sort of personalities. So the P and C whiz who's, you know, marches around with a clipboard or an iPad, probably not a clipboard anymore. <laughs> They've probably gone out of fashion. Mm -hmm. they? Um, you know, and you do have the mum who's always late, who's a bit scatty. You do have the bohemian mum who like um, uh, Lara who kind of waltzes around in her, her beautiful, you know, spell in the gypsy sundress. You know, you have all of these personalities on a small in a in a small scale in in most schools but I wanted to kind of take them out put them on steroids make them larger than life characters and I guess in fiction you can do that yeah um we've talked a little bit about the fact that each of those characters are harboring deep-seated secrets or or you know secrets that really kind of threaten their happiness and their futures who or what inspired each of these characters and how did you get inside their heads Oh, that's a good question. Amanda, I always knew that she had the problems she has. Um, and I'm kind of loath to sort of give away what they are. No. I'm terrified about giving anything it's away. It's hard, yeah. Um, but um, I, when I was doing my writing course at Faber, I spent a lot of time, I kind of started out with her as my main character and her problems and her relationship with her mother was sort of, they just came to me quite naturally. I don't know why, not through any personal experience or anything like that, but just... I, I had this idea of a, a woman whose mother had, you know, issues with alcohol and, you know, and, and that they transferred to the child. And, and I was writing quite a serious, I started off writing quite a serious book with flashbacks from the mother and, you know, lots of involvement with mother and daughter relationship and that being a reason for this happening or spiraling. Um, but as time went on, I, um, I adopted the other girls and Zoe, Zoe really just happened as time went along and I'd experienced grief myself um two years before writing um before starting the course my brother had passed away so I was very much in that sort of raw stage of grief where I felt um I felt like perhaps writing about it was quite cathartic so for me Zoe's character came very very easily and it kind of made sense to me that she was grieving all over the place um you know actually I can't I can't really say can I um so you know I that was very easy and it just came naturally Alice I didn't really know what her story was when I started I wanted someone very buttoned up who was very almost slightly business-like but who could not admit things to herself um you know let alone to the reader everything was very tightly buttoned and then it was quite late on that I I realized what I wanted to do with her character and how you know, I wanted her to unfold. And in the end, obviously, Alice has a major reason for doing what she does, um, which you find out sort of three quarters of the way through the book. But yeah, she was probably the last one to form. There is a Machiavellian element to this novel in the form of the character of Victoria. Um, she adds something darker to the story than would otherwise have been the case, doesn't she? She does. Um, and I kind of felt like I had to have a bit of a villain. I think I like to think she's a bit of a, a likable villain. She's not very likable at the start, but I do think in, in part she redeems herself towards the, the later stage of the book. But yeah, I, I definitely felt like there needed to be someone to kind of, well, obviously I needed her for 
you know, a major plot point. I needed her to be there to put these women's lives in a spin. Um, but I did really like writing her. I thought she was quite sort of deliciously mean. And I felt like she needed there to, to, to be there to kind of whip them all up into a frenzy. And um, I definitely enjoyed writing her probably the most, I'd say, even though she's yeah. not a major player. She was, she was definitely fun to write. And I think, you know, she's needed. A good villain's needed in a novel, right? Indeed. And she certainly does up the stakes in terms of, you know, what the women or what all of the couples are facing she does she does moving along as mentioned Ali you were a journalist and have been or you are a journalist and have been for 20 years working both here and in London but did you always want to write a novel I did I probably started numerous first chapters over the years Um, and in fact when I got my publishing deal a friend of mine who I live with at university um, so my gosh too many years back to (laughs) the count sent me a message and said oh my goodness I remember you writing first chapter or you know a couple of chapters of a novel when we lived together and I just thought gosh really was I was I really trying back then and I think I was and I think it was always a dream but it always got put on hold so there was always something else that would pop up. So, you know, I started working in magazines in London. I worked at OK Magazine for seven years and I just loved that. And I'm pretty sure that while I was there, I wasn't writing any first chapters because I was just so happy in my job and didn't have time because I was so busy. Um, and then I moved to Australia and worked freelance for a while, probably thought about it, but just thought now's not the right time. And then I had my children, um, my first two pretty much back to back with 16 months gap. And then I had my third um, four years ago and it just hadn't come up. And then suddenly it did. Um, when I had my third, I was freelancing, but not freelancing that much, but just doing a little here and there when he was young. And it was about when he was about six months old, I think, that I was doing um, cover stories for the Mossman Daily and the then editor of the Mm -hmm. Mossman Daily, Tim McIntyre, sent me a message after I'd submitted some work to him saying, "Um, I love the way you write. Have Have you ever thought about writing a novel? And I kind of was like, oh, I kind of, you know, I was really flattered. And I thought, well, am I good enough? Oh, someone, someone thinks I, I could, maybe I could. And I kind of started researching novel writing courses, but didn't, you know, act on it. And then Tim commissioned me to interview Jacqueline Moriarty. Um, and I know you would have met Jacqueline, um, Claudine, and she's absolutely lovely. And I think probably three quarters through the interview, which was over the phone, she said, you know, she sort of turned it around and was asking me about myself. She's so sweet. And she um, and she recommended the Faber writing a novel course to me, which was run then by Catherine Heyman. And I signed up for it and I got a spot. And that was when the trivia night really came into being. I'm quite disciplined, but I need to know where to start. I needed to know where to start. And this course was fantastic. It taught me everything from, you know, like, narrative arc, character arc, um, you know, inciting incident, you know, how to plan a novel. And and basically what it really did that was most invaluable to me was that it kick-started me. It got me writing scene after scene after scene. So that I had so many scenes that I could actually work out how they would fit together. And then I did, um, Faber writing a novel has two parts, so part one and part two. So I did part one, then a break of a couple of months and then part two. And so that was what, nine months or, or eight months. And during that time, I came away with a very, very, very bare bones of this novel. And then after that, I decided to, um, I was taken on by Catherine Heyman and she was my mentor for three months. And during that time, I sort of tidied up the novel and, you know, talked about 
things that maybe I could improve on and how I could, you know, embellish it, how I could make it better. And then I ended up at the end of that, probably it was, it was just before our last session. So there were five sessions, hour long sessions, perhaps a session every three weeks. It was about an hour and um, a month before the last one or a couple of weeks before the last one that I sent the novel off to London. Um, my agent had requested it on the back of seeing the Faber anthology. So the Academy releases an anthology with a, with a chapter from everyone. And that had landed on my agent's desk and she um, had requested it. So yeah, it, it went off just before the end of my mentoring sessions. That is brilliant. I love that story. So tell me about the moment that you knew Hodder and Stoughton were going to publish this book. How did it make you feel? Oh my goodness. Um, like nothing else. It was just... Oh, amazing. I, I remember it very, very clearly, like you do in, um, you know, lots of major events in your life. And I think I mentioned that in the book, actually, Amanda calls them Polaroid moments, where you just have a picture in your brain of, of the way you were, you know, almost like as detailed as what you were wearing when something like this happens. And that was a moment for me. Um, so I, it was a Saturday night, and um, it was during COVID lockdown. The first one, it was, I think, May 2020. And oh, April, I don't know, around that time. And um, it was a Saturday night and I hadn't heard from my agent. I was on submission. I'd been on submission for a, a good sort of 12 weeks or something. And I hadn't heard from my agent Marina that week. So I just thought, oh, you know what? I can relax. It's the weekend and I'm not going to hear anything. So I can relax. I can, I can not worry for another two days. And then on Monday, I'll worry again and wonder why I haven't heard anything. Um, so I was kind of decompressing for the weekend and um, just sitting down to dinner when the phone rang and it was Marina. I took it into my baby son's room. He was two, nearly two at the time and, um, and spoke to her and she said, are you sitting down? And I was like, oh my goodness, what? And she said, we've, we've got a great offer from, from Hodder. They'd like to take your book and, um, and your second book. And um, yeah, <laughs> are you keen? Yes, oh my goodness, I'm so keen. It was just uh, incredible. And I told my husband and there was a lot of, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. <laughs> Do we imagine that? And then I woke up the next morning and I said, to him, I turned over and I said to Rob, did I dream that? Did that happen? And he's like, yeah, it happened. <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, it was a really, really special moment. And I'm, I'm really aware of how lucky I am because it did happen fairly quickly. And that's not always the case. And, um, you know, so I feel really, really lucky that, you know, it happened, basically. Fantastic. So is the book out in the UK as well? Yes, it's out of the UK, in the UK in hardback form um, with a paperback launch later in the year to be confirmed. I love that story, Ali. Thank you so Thanks. much for sharing. <laughs> if there was one thing that you would like readers to take away from this book, what would it be? I think... What I mentioned earlier about women supporting women, that was really important to me. I've got a very close knit group of girlfriends who mean the absolute world to me. And I didn't want it to be perceived as a book where it's just bitchiness at the school gates and it's just women pitted against each other. Because of course there is a bit of that at the beginning of the book and it is a bit like, you know, people looking each other up and down and there is a bit of this, you know, obviously there's the whole situation between Amanda and Victoria, but I wanted it to ultimately be a heartwarming novel about women supporting women coming together to solve something and then at the end of the day putting their differences aside perhaps or perhaps not you'll have to see but um you know just just empowering one another and that was really important the second thing that was really important to me in the writing of the book was to have some humor 
Um, I wanted to, obviously, I, I, when I started writing it, it, it didn't have the humorous element. It was quite serious. And then I kind of sat back and thought to myself, I don't necessarily want to write a really depressing book about people making one mistake in it and it having these awful ramifications. I wanted to actually have some fun with it. I wanted to, you know, you've got people in a swinging situation. I wanted to have fun with that. I wanted it to be a bit giggly and a bit, you know, almost a bit slapsticky and a bit silly. Um, and even when it all goes pear-shaped towards the second half of the book, I really wanted it to be fun. I wanted these women who are in this strange situation together to make jokes, you know, and banter. And, I, you know, that was really important that it wasn't sort of a straight domestic noir, that it actually had that sort of fun element because I guess that's kind of me. And I, you know, I like making jokes and I like, I like, I like light hearted reads and, you know, so I think it was just, it was, it was inevitable that there was going to be some humor and, and hopefully it's worked. Indeed it has. Absolutely. Ellie, I'm sure that you know that there are many writers who listen to this podcast. So I wanted to ask you what three tips would you offer writers looking for a home for their novel or someone who wants to write a novel, but doesn't know where to start? Three tips. Okay. Well, my main tip would be, and I, I've said this before, but writing to the end of the book. So start your book, write it to the end. So I think there's a real, um, I know it's really hard to do because you write a couple of chapters and you think, oh no, that's terrible. I want to go back and rewrite them. And then I'm going to rewrite them a third time and a fourth time. But my advice would be just start. And even if you're, you completely contradict yourself in chapter 12 to chapter one, don't worry about it now, stick a post-it note in it, flag it, carry on, write to the end so that you have your skeleton, your first draft. And, you know, nobody's first draft, unless you're really amazing, <laughs> fluky writer, no one's first draft is perfect. So, um, and mine certainly wasn't, you know, so keep going, write it, then go back and make the amends. That would be my first tip. My goodness, what would my second one be? Have faith in yourself because it has to happen to someone, right? It has to, you know, book deals do happen. It is quite easy to kind of get lost in there, especially after the first draft, to get lost in the, oh, I've just written a first draft and it's, you know, I don't feel like it's good enough. Of course it's not. It's a first draft, you know, keep plugging away at it. Um, it, it is a lot of work, you know, it is, there's a lot of editing involved. There's a lot of wrangling and cutting and pasting and you know all of that kind of stuff but um but it's got to happen to someone so I would say keep the faith and just keep working at it and I guess the third and this doesn't you know always it's non-essential but you know give it to someone to read you know maybe consider a, um, doing a, a course and there are so many different courses online that you can apply for they don't have to cross the earth um you know or maybe talk having someone read your manuscript or even if it's just someone who you know loves writing or is a good writer to read your manuscript and give you some pointers um I think those things are all things that really helped me on my journey um so I guess those would be my top three are you working on your second novel right now yeah so I've actually written my second novel it's called The Running Club and it's out next year um so that is with my publisher at the moment. She's already sent me the first round of edits. And so I'm waiting for the second round. They should come through in, in a few weeks or a couple of months. Um, and yeah, so that that's kind of ready to go. That was part of the two book deal. And I've actually written a very, very, very terrible first draft of a third, just because I had this idea and it was burning in my head and I, and I wanted to get it down. So that's something that I will go back to at some point and work on. 
And The Running Club is a standalone novel, got nothing to do with the trivia night? Nothing to do with the trivia night, but it's set in a similar kind of white picket, almost Desperate Housewives style community where, you know, everything's very shiny on the surface, but underneath there's lots of secrets simmering and ultimately that turns fatal. Wow. So. <laughs> oh, wait for that one now. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, if listeners wanted to learn more about you and your book or books, as the case may be, where could they do that? Um, well, I'm on Instagram at, at Ali underscore low underscore author. Um, and I have a website, which is just Ali low author.com. I had to think about that. <laughs> yes, that's, <laughs> right. that's definitely right. Um, I am on Facebook and Twitter as well, but I'm terrible Twitterer. I just log in and then realize that I haven't replied to lots of people and then feel bad about it. Um, and I'm a little sporadic on Facebook, but I'm, I, I do love Instagram. So it's so pretty. Love Instagram. So you can always find me on there. <laughs> That's wonderful. Ali, I'm so glad that we've had the chance to connect and I thoroughly enjoyed the trivia night and I know my listeners will too. Thank you so very much for joining me on Talking Aussie Books today. Thank you so much for having me, Claudine. It was really, really fun. Thank you. That's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please drop me a line via my webpage at claudinechanellis.com, via Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Alternatively, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Until next time, happy reading.